up next on Walking by Faith. How would Jesus react if somebody said or did this? Right? A disciple is somebody who's saying constantly, give me direction, show me how to live. And listen, before Jesus ever tells a disciple to do something, a disciple already has the answer. Right? And you say, what is it? Yes. How many of you know that no and Lord do not go well in the same sentence? Hello, I want to welcome you to Walking by Faith. Thank you for being with us. Today, we're going to talk about what Jesus really is looking for in our lives. You know, many people say, well, I'm a Christian. You know, Christian is really only used three times in the Bible. And it was something that people that did not follow Jesus called people who followed Jesus. But what Jesus is really looking for is he's looking for disciples. That's what he's looking for. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. Well, a disciple is very different than a Christian. A Christian, you, because it's not defined, you can believe about anything and do about anything. But to be a disciple, you need to be somebody who's seeking to become like Jesus. Somebody who realizes I am Jesus' hands and his feet in this world today. You need to be somebody that's helping others come to know Jesus. And then Jesus said this, by this all men will know that you're my disciples because you love one another. And true disciples love one another. I want you to come with me right now as we go into this message right as it begins on how to be a disciple of Jesus. So we're in a series of messages. We're talking about vision. We're talking about the pillars that our church is built on. We've been talking about praise and worship. We've been talking about ministering to the next generation, the importance of God's word. And then today, I want to talk to you about the last one of those pillars, which is missions. And, and I want to take you there uh, with a little bit of a process. Right? Now, how many of you know what an American is? How many know what a Canadian is? How many know what a comedian is? All right. Uh, how many of you know what a Christian is? You think so? All right. Well, I want to talk to you about what, what that Christian is. Now, now by the way, when, when you say that, uh, some people will simply say yes. Others will say, what do you mean? And they say, yes, I am, but I'm not. Right? They want to qualify what, what a Christian is. Right? Uh, some of us were brought up in churches where we thought we're the only people going to heaven. I think God was going to have to put up a big curtain and hide everybody else from us, you know. Some people, when they think about Christianity, they, they believe that it has to do simply with your behavior, or others believe it has to do simply with what you believe. I've talked with a couple of people who thought that it meant you were American. I said, are you a Christian? They said, well, I'm an American, aren't I? Well, not exactly the same, right? A lot of people today, uh, they, they hate Christians, and they say, you know, Christians are judgmental, they're homophobic, they're moralistic, they think they're the only ones going to heaven, and they're really glad when everybody else goes to hell. Uh, how many of you know that is not at all what a Christian is? Right? Not even close to what the Bible would have to say about what is a Christian. Now, by the way, the word Christian is only used three times in the Bible. Right? And it's not a word that the followers of Jesus used to describe themselves as much as it was a word that other people use to describe followers of Jesus. 
And it was not a compliment, by the way. It was kind of like saying you're a geek or you're a redneck or some things I could say that would be much more derogatory than that. It wasn't used to be a compliment. In fact, the, the, the followers of Jesus, they often describe themselves as followers of the way, right? Or they, did, they identified themselves as disciples of Jesus. In fact, in Acts 11, it says this, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, they were called Christians, and it was kind of like calling them a name, geeks, you know, rednecks, Christians, right? It wasn't like a compliment, right? But unbelieving people looked at the followers of Jesus and said, they're, they're, they, they begin to call them Christians, which simply means a little Jesus, a little Christ, right? People that were following Jesus. Now, it was unbelievers that called those that followed Jesus Christians, right? Now, here is the interesting thing. Again, in the Bible, the Christian is never defined. So, so what that means is this. You can believe just about anything and call yourself a Christian. There are people that have done some really terrible things and call themselves Christian. And even said that they've done it because they're Christians, right? And, and you can use that word, and again, because the Bible doesn't define it, it's not clearly defined, you, you can believe and do just about anything and say, well, I'm a Christian. But this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. That was Jesus' word. How many of you know he had 12 disciples, Right? And then those disciples, they multiplied on the, on the day of Pentecost, and there were suddenly there were 3,000 more, and then a short time later, another 5,000 more. In fact, what the Bible uses to describe followers of Jesus is the word disciples. The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, a disciple is defined. It's a learner. It's a pupil. It's a follower. It's an apprentice. Right? Disciples ask questions like this. When they're facing a situation, they say, how would Jesus respond to this situation? What would Jesus do in this relationship? How would Jesus react if somebody said or did this? Right? A disciple is somebody who's saying constantly, give me direction. Show me how to live. And listen, before Jesus ever tells a disciple to do something, a disciple already has the answer, right? And you say, what is it? Yes. How many of you know that no and Lord do not go well in the same sentence? No, Lord does not work, right? So for a disciple, anytime we know what Jesus wants us to do, our immediate response is yes. We don't even need to find out what the order is. We know our answer. It's yes. So my question today to begin with is, are you a Christian or are you a disciple? Because what Jesus wants is disciples, right? A disciple is somebody who is seeking to become more like Jesus, past, excuse me, very, very passionately seeking to become more like Jesus. Someone who sees themselves as Jesus' hands and feet. Somebody who's bringing the message of what Jesus has done to others. And then listen, somebody who loves other people. 
Jesus said this, by this you will, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. How are they, how are they going to know that we're disciples? Because we what? We love one another. And, and by the way, in the New Testament, over 30 times, it talks about one another. You know, love one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens, pray for one another. Over 30 times. Do you realize you cannot be a disciple alone? The way that all men, Jesus said, will know you're my disciples is because you love one another. People are supposed to look and say, hey, look how they treat their wife. Look how they treat their husband. Hey, look what they do for their widows. Look how they accept people from every background, every ethnicity. Hey, look at the compassion that they have on the poor and the disenfranchised, the drug addict, how, how they treat their children. Hey, look at what great employees those disciples make and what a great employer they are. Look how they love one another. So a disciple is striving to become like Jesus, reach others with the good news of Jesus, sees themselves as Jesus' hands and feet, and they love one another. And again, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Do you, do you realize that Jesus is not some tribal or ethnic deity? Jesus died for the entire world. John the Baptist said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the, the world. And of course, Romans 10, 13, my life verse, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And one of the signs of a disciple is that we see ourselves as Jesus' hands and feet. And we are reaching out to bring the good news of what Jesus has done to all of humanity. In, in Rod Parsley, in his book, The Cross, he said this. He said, the treatment of slaves was universally appalling, right? But in the colonial plantations of the West Indians, they were notorious for their cruelty because they had a fresh supply of human property coming from Africa at what seemed to be an endless rate. And so they literally worked their slaves to death, right? Now, in Europe, there were a group of Christians referred to as the Morav Moravians, and they really wanted to reach the slaves in the West Indies for Christ. But they said, how can we do it? Well, in a breathtaking, bold, and innovative answer, they decided they would sell themselves into slavery. There was a Dutch ship that was leaving Copenhagen Harbor, in October the 8th of 1732, with two Moravian missionaries on board. One was John Dober. He was a potter. His friend David was a carpenter. And they were going to sell themselves into slavery with the hopes of sharing the good news of the cross with the slaves in the West Indies. Now, history records that as the ship slipped away from its moorings, those two looked out at their friends who were standing there their loved ones who they believed they would never see again. And they shouted something that literally was a battle cry for the Moravians and for others, other Christians, other disciples for centuries. And this is what they yelled out. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering. 
Some church historians have studied what the Moravian missionaries did that sold themselves into slavery. And they said that they won to Christ over 80,000 slaves through their efforts. They grasped what many today do not, that following Jesus means extending comfort, not to ourselves, but to others. Not seeking to be comfortable, but it means gladly facing and suffering rejection for Christ who was rejected for us. It means valuing Jesus' sacrifice so much and being so grateful that we are willing to pay whatever price is needed to bring the good news about what Jesus did to humanity. It needs to be our response to God's love, to God's reaching out to us, sending Jesus to die for us. As the psalmist said in Psalm 67, he says, send us around the world with the good news of your saving power and your eternal plan for all of mankind. In his book, All In, Mark Batterson says that a century ago, there were brave souls known as one-way missionaries. They purchased a single ticket to the mission field without getting a return half. And instead of packing suitcases, they literally packed whatever belongings they had in a coffin. And then they sailed out to port, waved goodbye to everything that they knew, and they never expected to return home. A.W. Mills was one of those missionaries. He set sail for the South Pacific for an island knowing full well that the headhunters who lived there had killed every other missionary who'd gone before him. He said he wasn't afraid for his life because he was already dead to himself. His coffin was already packed. For 35 years, he lived among the tribe. He loved them. And when he died, the tribe members buried him in the middle of their village and inscribed this epitaph on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. And when he left, there was no darkness. When did we start to believe that God wants to just send us to safe and easy places and just do safe and easy things? When we think that faithfulness simply means holding the fort, playing it safe, that there is, that there is a sacrifice, or excuse me, no greater privilege than sacrifice. That is really what Christians believe, right? That being radical in our faith should be the norm. Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. He died to make you dangerous. Faithfulness is not holding the fort. Faithfulness is storming the gates of hell. And the will of God is not an insurance plan. It is a dangerous plan for your life. The complete surrender of your life for the cause of Christ should be normal, not seen as something radical. And it's time to quit living as if the purpose of life was to arrive at death's gate safely. Right? Now, if you're a student, your purpose isn't just to graduate. Right? Your purpose is to be a disciple in your world, in your school. That's our purpose. C.T. Studd was born in 1860. He was born to a very wealthy family in England. Uh, as he grew up, he, became, he was noted to be an exceptional athlete. In fact, I, I read one of his one biography about C.T. Studd. They compared him to Michael Jordan. They said he was the Michael Jordan of his day. He played cricket. Right? I'm not really all that keen on cricket, but he was, he was the Michael Jordan of cricket. Extremely, extremely gifted, famous athlete. 
When he entered his young teenage years, his father went and heard Dwight L. Moody preach. And his father received the Lord and began to talk to his three sons, of whom C.T. Studd was one. And at the age of 18, C.T. Studd received the Lord. He said, but for a few years, he, he really didn't understand. He really wasn't committed. In fact, he would have said, I was backslidden. Right? But then in his early 20s, God got a hold of him. And he, he, re, he walked away from the world of sports, from fame. And he literally walked away from fortune. He took his inheritance and he gave all of his inheritance away. And he went to a missionary, as a missionary, first of all, to China, then to India. And ultimately, he ended up in Africa. He said that there's only one life and soon it will be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. You know, we've got a short biography of, of C.T. Studd on our Facebook page, if you're, if you're interested. Born 1860, died in Africa at the age of 70 in 1931. And this is what he said. He said, I've lived with no regrets. Walked away from fame. Walked away from a fortune. And he said, I've got no regrets at all. You know, missions, foreign and domestic. Your, your, your school is a mission field. Your neighborhood, where you work, they're mission fields. Foreign and domestic. They are the reason that the church exists. If, if, if God had no purpose for you being here, when, when we baptize you next week, we just keep you under, send you on home. But God has a purpose, right? Do you, do you realize Jesus was a missionary? The apostle Paul was a missionary. The book of Acts, part of our New Testament, right? It's the story of how the disciples of Jesus went out with the message. All of the epistles, they're, 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 your New Testament is made up of four gospels, four stories about Jesus, four different people talking about Jesus' life, the book of Acts, which really tells what the, the, the church did for the first several decades after Jesus arose from the dead, and then letters that are written to the new churches, and they're called epistles. And that's, that, that really compli comprises what we refer to as the New Testament. But think about it. Jesus, the four accounts of his life, He's a missionary. Acts, it's all about the mission work. The epistles, it's letters to all of the churches that were established by the missionaries. Jonah was a missionary. In fact, the Bible tells us that God came to Jonah and he said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it because its sin has come up to heaven. And in 40 days, Nineveh is going to be destroyed. So Jonah was a good Hebrew. And the arch enemies of the Jews were the Ninevites. And, and he was very patriotic. It was, was kind of like in the 80s. I remember Ronald Reagan called the Soviet Union the evil empire. Right? Well, that's, what, that's, that's how they looked at the Ninevites. And, and so God said, go and preach to him. And so Jonah went down to a harbor, got on a boat, and took off in the exact opposite direction. He said, God, I'm running. I do not want to do that. God, you love them people. I don't. I want them to fry. Literally, literally. That's what he said. I, I remember listening to, to Lester Summerall, 
Some of you know or know of Lester Summerall. He's gone to heaven now. He was down in South Bindiana for the last couple decades of his life. Came and preached for us several times. But he told a story about how he came to the Lord. He was dying of tuberculosis. The family doctor came over and said he'll be dead before morning and wrote out his death certificate. And that night, he said, I was, I was laying there and I, I knew I was supposed to die. He said, and all of a sudden, he said, I had a vision and, and I saw a huge Bible in front of me. And I saw a casket and a voice. God said to him, choose one. You can die today or you can preach. And he said, I looked at that Bible and I knew I didn't want to preach. And I looked at the casket and that was even less appealing. So I said to God, I said, okay, God, I'll preach. In the morning, when his family came in, he was still alive. They had his death certificate, but he's still alive. And he said to his mother, he said, I'd like to eat. She said, well, what do you want? He said, I want biscuits and gravy and some ham. She said, well, he's going to die anyway. May as well die happy. So she feeds him. He eats it. He says, I'd like some more. And well, he's going to die anyway. He eats some more. Make a long story short, in just a couple of weeks, he's up walking around. He's healthy. And uh, that voice came again and said, go preach. So he took off, went down the road, found a schoolhouse. They said they'd let him use it. He went around to the local farmers and said, I'm going to preach there tonight. They came to, they came to hear him preach. And he preached and said, now, receive Jesus. A couple people did, and one farmer said, I ain't receiving Jesus. And Lester said, well, go to hell. I don't care. <laughs> and the guy got so shook, he decided to receive Jesus. <laughs> but Lester said this. He said, when I started out, he said, I didn't care. He said, I wasn't preaching because I love Jesus. I wasn't even preaching because I love people. He said, I was preaching because I didn't want to die. <laughs> so Jonah, he takes off. You know the story. He gets in that ship, and there's a storm. They throw him overboard. God prepares a large fish that swallows him up. And inside the fish, Jonah starts to think, you know what? Preaching's better than day, being dead. So he calls out to the Lord. And the Lord sends that fish and he vomits him up near shore. And then God says to him again, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach. Goes over to Nineveh. He gets there and he starts to preach. The king hears about it. Tears his clothes. The people tear their clothes. They get in sackcloth and ashes. In fact, the king says, nobody eats. Nobody drinks, not even an animal. And they repented. But Jonah went and he sat outside the city, the Bible says, and he watched. He thought, I'm going to watch God fry them all. <laughs> and it, it was, you know, it's the Middle East and it's very hot. And the Bible says God called, caused a plant to grow up and a huge leaf just came over and it had shade for Jonah. And Jonah's just like, yeah, this is great. He's sitting there the next day, and the Bible says that God caused a hot east wind to come and a worm to kill the plant. And that plant withers and dies, and it's hot, and it's windy. And Jonah goes, ah, God, I am so mad this plant has died. He said, I want to just die right here. And God said to Jonah, he says, this is really interesting. He said, there are 120,000 people in that city that don't know their right hand from their left. And you are more concerned about your comfort. You're more concerned about yourself 
than you are, about 120,000 people. And God said, basically, he said, shame on you. He said, I'm concerned about every one of those 120,000 people, and you should be too. But Jonah was more concerned about his comfort, his entertainment, than he was about what was going on in the world around about him. And by the way, because they repented, God spared the city. You know, we need to be careful that we're not like Jonah. That we aren't just concerned about ourselves, about our comfort, our entertainment, about our vacation. And we have no concern for a lost and a dying world that is all around us. God so loved the world. Do you, do you realize this? If you are going to work for God, you have to love people. Red, yellow, black, white, polka dotted. You need to love them rich or poor. You need to love them Republican or Democrat. You need to love them educated or illiterate. You need to love all people. See, that's one of the things that disciples do. Disciples, they love one another. And disciples love people. And they bring the good news about what Jesus did to people. The Bible says the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I'll tell you who he devours. He devours the person that is isolated. The person that's separated. Right? We need each other. Everybody has great days. Everybody's got days you can kill all the giants. David killed Goliath, a great day. But we forget there was a giant one day that David could not kill. They're in battle. And the Bible says that the son of the giant, Ishbibinab, he saw David. He was a giant. And he said, I will kill David. And he went over and he had David against the wall. But Abishai came and killed the giant. I need an Abishai. You need an Abishai. There's days you're up to killing every giant. But there's other days you need somebody. You need to be in relationship. Jesus always sent his disciples out at least two by two. We need each other. As you've been watching, if you realize I'm not a disciple, but I want to be a disciple. I'm not rare. I should be with God. I want to be forgiven. I want to be right with God. I want to invite you right now to bow your head and to pray a prayer to receive Jesus to, as your Lord and to receive the forgiveness that he has for you. Just make these words your own. Just pray this. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I receive him today as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you. You've heard my prayer that I'm forgiven, that I'm your child, a part of your kingdom on my way to heaven. In Jesus name. Amen. If you prayed that simple prayer from your heart, God heard that prayer. Why don't you listen? I wrote a book that I'd like you to read. It'll help you in your next steps in following Jesus to become a disciple. All you need to do is go, down, go online and download the book free of charge. All the information is right there on your screen. And I want to thank every one of you for being with us today. Love you and God bless you. At Walking by Faith, we believe in the power of prayer. Call now to share your prayer requests so we can begin standing with you in prayer.
Thank you for watching Walking by Faith. Walking by Faith is made possible in part by the generous gifts of our viewers. If you would like to contribute to reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ through this program, please contact us at Walking by Faith, 5120 Ivan Rest Avenue Southwest, Granville, Michigan, 49418.